Well, as we begin with God's word, I'd ask, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father in heaven, we gather here this evening in the name of your son, Jesus. In the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Father, tonight we pray that Jesus would be our teacher. That your spirit would guide our eyes and our hearts and teach us and mold us and shape us and expand our hearts to understand your teaching. That it may change us that it may mold us and shape us into his image so that we may go forth from here tonight shining your light into this world. Father, we ask for your power here tonight. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be truly pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, like I said earlier, we've titled the series The Truth Teller, and one of the hard truths that we said earlier is this love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. You know, all the world's major religions, all the world's religions have a lot of things in common. And one of the things they have in common are commands. Not to kill, not to steal, not to slander. They also have other things in common like taking care of those in need and respecting your parents. You see those universal ethics throughout all religions. But there's one command that you see in Christianity. And it's this command that we're going to study tonight that you don't see in any other world religion. And in fact, it goes against all the ethics we would see in our culture today, and that is to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. You know, it's this teaching that's hard. Mark Twain said this. He said, it ain't those parts of the Bible I can understand that bother me. It is the parts I do understand that bother me. Right? This is one of those parts that when you read it, you understand what it's saying. But our nature sort of wants us to parse it away and kind of explain it away and say, that's too difficult, that's impossible. There is no way that Jesus could expect me to love like that. I mean, I understand Jesus could love like that, but me? That just seems a little bit out there. Maybe that's just one of those things that's an ideal, but just an impossible reality in our, in our, in our world today, especially in my life. But is that really what Jesus is teaching us? You know, what he's teaching us here is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. And it falls toward the beginning of this sermon that we've titled the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus teaches there, and it's thought, in the middle, at the height of his ministry. Jesus is teaching his, his disciples or his apostles. They have been following him, and he is speaking to them, but there's also this multitude of disciples, and also there's this large crowd that is gathered to hear him teach. And so Jesus has several audiences in mind. He's teaching to his disciples, but he's also teaching to the crowd. And so as we gather here tonight as his disciples, if you call him Lord and Savior, you are in that crowd that Jesus is teaching. And if you have yet to see and understand and believe Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are also in the crowd. These words are for you as well here this evening. But to understand the text that we're going to teach tonight, this hard, this hard truth of Jesus, we really need to understand this entire sermon. So I'm glad we have a lot of time tonight <laughs> to look at this entire sermon. We're going to try and do it really quickly. So that's my promise to you, is we're going to try and do it quickly. And the way we're going to do is we're going to divide it. We're going to use this outline that Justin Gibbs gives us in his commentary on the book of Matthew. And he's gives us a really good commentary on this Sermon on the Mount, and he divides it this way. He says in verses 3 through 12, starting in chapter 5, 
that this is the blessings. You know, what you hear as the Beatitudes, right? You've heard it referred to as that. There's also the second division, which is the calling, which our text tonight falls in the middle of. You see the calling as Jesus calls his disciples. You see that in how they're to live in these texts. And then the final division comes at the end of chapter 7, which he's, he's entitled the warnings. And those warnings are for those that hear these words and do not put them into practice. There's also warnings for his disciples as they go forward, the pitfalls and the things that they're going to encounter and the false teachings that they've already encountered. But believe me, there are going to continue to be these pitfalls and opportunities to stray away from the teachings of Jesus. So there's warnings for his disciples. There's also warnings for those that are not yet disciples. And so that's how he divides this text. And he says we must understand this sermon. And to understand this sermon, we best need to understand the beginning of the sermon. The blessings. He said it's in the blessings, and I agree with him, that is the key to understanding the entire sermon. And the key to understanding it is this doorway, as he calls it. He says this blessing, the Beatitudes, are really the doorway with which to understand the rest of this sermon. That if you don't understand this part of the sermon, you won't get the rest of it. And he really says there's a doorway to the doorway. And that doorway, he says, is verse 3. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to understand why he says this, we look at the words there in that first line, blessed. Blessed there can also be translated as saved or redeemed. Saved or redeemed are the poor in spirit. Well, how does he mean that? Well, to understand that, we have to understand what he means by poor in spirit. You could say spiritually poor. Those who are spiritually poor, meaning that we don't have it within us. Our spiritual life is destitute. Our spiritual life is wanting. We cannot on our own, in our own spirit, do anything to help ourselves. We are spiritually poor. We need help from the outside. And as we look at this verse, we can see the two audiences. The audience everyone is a part of. Because literally, everyone is spiritually poor. Everyone is born into this world spiritually poor, needing help from someone else. Everyone is in that condition. And he's saying, blessed is everyone. Why is that? Because Jesus has come. Jesus is the help from the outside. He is the one who will give the blessing. But there's another understanding of that blessing. It's for those that are disciples. As we see in the lives of the, the disciples here, we see that they have begun to understand just how poor in spirit they truly are. Not everyone understands how poor in spirit they truly are. But as with the power of the Spirit through the teaching and preaching of Jesus, his disciples have come to understand just how ridiculously poor in spirit they truly are. And it's because they understand their need for a savior it's because god has made it known to them and revealed to them their need for jesus and their reliance upon him that they are truly blessed they are not blessed because they're poor in spirit they're poor in spirit and because they are they are blessed because god has made a way 
And they understand that. So as we read this text, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not will be if you are, but your kingdom has already come now. You truly are blessed. And so as Jesus speaks to the entire crowd, he says, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed is everyone. But it's a completely different meaning for those who see Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who have been given the faith in Jesus, who truly understand how relying upon his salvation, his work, that we are. And knowing that, we see these words as encouragement. We see these words as a blessing. We see these words as power to live out this life. And so it's from that understanding that we have been blessed already. Not because we're good, not because we earned it, not because we are great in spirit, but because we are poor in spirit. That we have the, the Holy Spirit living in us. That we are blessed. And it's as we read the rest of the Beatitudes, we see that we are truly blessed. And there's a whole sermon or more just in the Beatitudes when you see the relationship between them. But I just want to give you this brief picture of how to read the rest of the text as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are blessed. The kingdom of heaven is already yours. The commands that he will give us throughout this sermon are not to earn. They're not a prescription on how to attain the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is already ours because we have been blessed by Jesus Christ. And so as we read the rest of these texts, then we get a better picture, a right understanding of how to read Jesus' commands. But he goes further in his understanding, and so I think there are a couple of things to understand about the calling. As we look at the text in Matthew chapter 5, we see that in the calling in chapters, in verses 13 through 18, is that right? 16. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Because you are blessed, he's saying to his disciples, you have been given a mission to be salt unto the earth, to salt the earth with the word of God. You have been called to be light into the darkness with the light of the word. You, as disciples of Jesus Christ, have been given a great mission, a great opportunity to go forth with the love of Jesus Christ with the blessings of God, with the good news that we're all spiritually poor. But there's an answer, and his name is Jesus. And so we have been given a calling. That's what he's saying to his disciples. You have been given a calling. And he also then tells us in verses 17 through 20 the true meaning of the Torah. Because as we read these commands, as we read the Old Testament, there's the question that everyone is asking, well then what about the Old Testament? What about the Torah? What about the prophets? What about the law? What do we do about that? We still say that today. What do we do with those commands in the Old Testament? And so Jesus gives us the true meaning of the Torah, the law, the Old Testament. And he goes on to say that I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. Nothing in the law will pass away until everything has been accomplished. Until everything has been accomplished, nothing will pass away, but I have come to fulfill that law. He goes on to say, For I tell you that unless your righteousness 
surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? Your righteousness, your good works, will exceed that of the Pharisees. Theirs is of their own flesh. Theirs is for their own righteousness. Your righteousness is from heaven. You have been blessed. You have already been redeemed. You are already righteous. Your works are righteous because they are empowered by the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ. That is what causes your works, your righteousness, to exceed that of the Pharisees. You follow the teachings of Jesus. And it's from that understanding that Jesus is the blessing that all of us who are poor in spirit, those who understand by the teaching of Jesus how destitute we are without him, that we have been truly blessed to go into all the world sharing his love, sharing his word, salting the earth with his word, and shedding light into the world. To teach the world exactly what Jesus taught, and he has changed everything. We are never to understand or to take out of context the Old Testament. Our comments ought to always be when we read something in the Old Testament is, what did Jesus say? How are we to understand what is written based upon what Jesus taught? We cannot take a command in the Old Testament apart from what Jesus said. When we do, we make the same mistake the Pharisees and the scribes did. Jesus taught with authority, and he's teaching us, and he's taught them, and he's teaching everyone that all authority has been given to him. He teaches with the authority of God. You are never to understand the law and the Torah apart from Jesus. The Old Testament makes absolutely no sense without Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has made all things new. Now we have a new way, a new lens with which to look upon the Old Testament, a new way to look at, Jesus, at God's commands. And so then he spends the next verses explaining those commands and expanding upon those commands, teaching the true meaning through Jesus' eyes what these texts mean, which brings us finally to tonight's text starting in verse 43, where Jesus says, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Have you, have you ever read that and thought, where is that written? I don't ever remember reading that anywhere. And, and the truth is, you haven't read it in the Bible, other than right here. He says six times up to this in all the commands that you read before this in Matthew, you have heard it said, it has been said, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, it has been said, you have heard it said. Where is it being said? It's being said by the scribes and the Pharisees. How they're teaching the law. Jesus said, you've heard it said from the scribes and the Pharisees, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. And that made sense for them. That's what they taught. They looked down on everybody else. That's when we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, why we can see that and say there's no way the Samaritan can be good because we hate Samaritans. And it's okay to hate Samaritans because our teachers tell us we're to love our neighbor but hate our enemies. And that's why the young lawyer said, well then, okay, so who's my neighbor? Who truly is that guy? I know there's a technicality there, so I wouldn't want to understand that. Jesus says everyone. And then he goes on to say, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge. I'm sorry, this is the quoting from Leviticus. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
From Leviticus, it tells us to love our neighbor. But see, they read that verse in there that says, among your people. And they say, well, that's what it means. It's just among our people. But there are plenty of places in the Old Testament where it tells us how to love strangers and foreigners amongst our people that are living amongst us. How are we to treat them? Just like our neighbor. Just like everyone else. We're to love them as we would love ourselves. And so they start to parse and separate these words and make it mean what it doesn't mean. And so Jesus really kind of teaches them back to what the true meaning of the law is. He doesn't just come to tell you the law. He fulfills the law. He shows you how to live. So he goes on in 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And just one other note here. As we read these commands that Jesus gives us, they're not comprehensive. Not everything we need to know exists within these commands. And they're not to be taken literalistically. As we read through these commands, we can see that. As we look at this text, just for example, it says, I say, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. So you mean you're not supposed to love your neighbors? You're not supposed to love those people next to you? You can see this being taken in the court and saying, well, it doesn't say I should love my wife. It just says I should love my enemies. It's not meant to be taken literalistically in every sense of the form. But Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That word there, love, is this agape word, love. And with that word comes this intelligence and this understanding. Loving is knowing exactly what the person has done. Fully aware of the actions of the other person, how they've harmed you, how they've insulted you, how they've persecuted. Fully aware, but yet you love them anyway. Jesus himself fully aware of our sinfulness, loves us anyway. And pray for those who persecute you. Nothing will change your heart for an enemy like praying for them. Truly pray for somebody in your life tonight, tomorrow. Who's your enemy? I want you to think of that person in your life. Because this text takes on a really different meaning when you put a face to it. And I'm not talking off in foreign distant lands like ISIS and somebody way out there. I'm talking about somebody personal in your life who you have set up as your enemy. Who maybe doesn't treat you well, who maybe talks about you, who maybe mistreats you. Spreads rumors about you. Maybe tries to cheat you out of that promotion at work. Who's that person in your life? I have a picture in my head. Jesus saying, love that person. Pray for that person. Pray for that person each and every day. And see if God doesn't change your heart. Jesus himself teaches us that. He doesn't just teach us the law. He fulfills it. From the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Jesus is praying for those who are killing him, mocking him. He gives us the model with which to follow. Pray for those, because Jesus sees us as we truly are, spiritually poor, and knows how much we need God's love and understanding and rescuing. And he calls us to do the same pray for those people that persecute us.
not to react in kind, but to pray for them. He goes on in 45, that you may be children of your Father in heaven because he causes sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's saying, this is the way that people will know that you are children of God. Because God himself loves those that are his enemies and those that love him. He causes the rain to fall on both. He causes the sun to rise on both. He plays no partiality there. God, our Heavenly Father, loves his enemies. He calls us to do the same, to draw attention to whose Father, who our Father is, that we are his children. And we do that as we follow his example. We show the world who we are by following his example. Paul writes in Romans, God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies of God. We cannot forget the fact that we were enemies. We were opposed to God. And he made a way for us. He loved us first. And he's asking you and I, in the power of that love, in the knowledge of our spiritual depravity, that we follow him. We have the opportunity to love those and pray for those people that persecute us because we've been called to be children of salt and light. We have a mission that we cannot lose sight of. We've been called to be light into the world. And these verses that we read here tonight aren't secret verses that the rest of the world doesn't see or understand. Other people that don't believe in Jesus read these verses and hold you up to these verses and say to the world, you see? Their book says, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, but when you look at this Christian who calls himself a Christian, what do they treat? how do they treat people? How do they love people? What does the world say about us? They know these words. Some better than we do. And they hold us up to these words. And Jesus knows they'll hold us up to these words. And he calls us to be salt and light because the world is watching. The rest of the crowd is looking on as he teaches the rest of the crowd how his disciples are to live. Jesus is putting this bar, these expectations on them in full vision of everyone that's watching. Today, he does the same thing. There's a lot at stake, folks. We're called to follow him, to be examples in this world, to live as children of light, and in doing so, we pray for those that persecute us. We love our enemies. It's the one thing that undid the Romans when they killed all the Christians in the Colosseum. They were just undone by how these Christians died, not cursing them, not swearing at them, but praising God in the Colosseum, and it just undid them. It's just like, what is going on with these Christians? And for the first 300 years of the existence of the church, there was not a battle fought in the name of Jesus Christ, but yet Rome was conquered through the love of Jesus Christ. And we see it in full historical view, his way. And he calls us today to overtake the world with the love of Christ.
That is our answer to our enemies. That is our answer to those who persecute us. Not to respond in kind. And not to respond just because we get something from it. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? And not even the tax collectors, they do that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Haven't you ever walked into a place to buy clothes or to buy a car or something like that and the salesperson is just really nice? And they compliment maybe your watch or something you're wearing or something like that and in your mind you're going, yeah, okay, buddy, I know what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to sell me something. That's what he's talking about. He says, if we're only going to love people that, that can give us something, if we're only going to love people because we can get something from it, guess what? We're going to be seen for who we really are. It'll be very disingenuous because all it takes is for things not to go my way, for you maybe to see the true colors. And again, we sort of show our backside to the world. He's saying, don't fall for that. Don't fall for this patronage system that you only pay attention to the people that can get you something. Pray and love everyone, even if they continue to mock you and insult you. Continue to pray for them. Continue to love them. Do not seek revenge. Don't just love the people that you love. Don't just greet the people that you like. When we gather here on the weekends, oftentimes we say hello to the same people over and over and over again, and new people come in our midst every weekend, and we just go on. It's a great way to welcome people, to encourage people with the love of Jesus by speaking to them and talking to them, acknowledging them, but also those people that hate us and persecute us and talk about us. He calls us to love them and pray for them daily. He concludes with this verse in 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, understand this verse. This word perfect in the Greek does not mean sinless. That's the one thing about this translation that kind of falls short. And most translations do. Really, the meaning of this word, perfect, is complete, mature. It's more of a word of, of a goal, something to be attained, something to work towards. It's not perfectly sinless. That wouldn't make sense for Jesus to teach us to be perfectly sinless. But he's teaching us here to be fully mature, to be complete as your Father in heaven is complete. As he loves everyone and plays no favorites. As he has given his son for everyone. Not just for those that he likes, but for those that hate him. His son died. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is everyone. Everyone just doesn't know it yet. And he's given you and I the opportunity to share that good news with the world. And so we go back to verse 16 to sort of see, again, keep in front of our eyes 
In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our whole mission is so that others would come to glorify and praise Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Your actions, your righteousness, the way you love others, the way you pray for your enemies. Go a long way into making disciples for Jesus Christ. Speaking his truth, but also living his truth. Not just saying these words, but living these words. Because we're blessed. We have truly been blessed. The kingdom of heaven is ours now. And we have the message that the world so desperately needs. And the way we communicate it is with the love of Christ. We answer everyone with the love of Christ. I ask you again tonight, who is your enemy? Who is it that you need to be praying for each and every day so that God softens your heart so that they could possibly hear and see the love of Christ in you? I pray you would love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Amen.